Morning, everyone. I, uh, I'm very thankful that I can uh, bring God's word to you today. Uh, my wife and I and my kids have so enjoyed uh, this season of ministry at Renew Bible Church. Um, you know, seven years ago, I was kind of fresh out of seminary, and uh, God has taught me so much. As much as we've tried to invest in this church and in the kids' ministry, uh, you all have invested in us. Um, I've learned so much, and my kids, like, they're coming to this church, and this is, like, the great people here have formed their idea of what church is, and I'm so thankful for that. So thank you guys that, that you've given us the opportunity to serve and, um, and I'm excited that we get to share God's word together this morning. So uh, we're, we've been journeying through Mark and seeing Jesus the King. Uh, Jesus has no uh, equal in the Gospel of Mark. Um, all the Gospels are that way. But in Mark, you see him like overcoming demons and, you know, refuting people and healing diseases. I mean, nothing can stop the power of Jesus. And so this picture is painted of Jesus that is incredibly powerful, incredibly authoritative. And, uh, and today we're going to see um, why last week happened. I'm not talking about Pastor John. I'm talking about what Pastor John taught us, okay? Uh, Pastor John taught us about the, the rejection or the pushback that Jesus experienced from his family and from the kind of religious leaders in the community. All right. Jesus had followers, disciples that loved him, but he also had people that were against him. Um, and Jesus kind of explains why that happens in our passage today, which is Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Jesus is going to talk about what happens when the seed of God's word comes into contact with the soil of our hearts. He's going to talk about farming. I don't know if you know a farmer. There are some farmers in this church that I love and appreciate, uh, but probably the farmer I love and appreciate the most is my dad. Right? My dad is a crop farmer in the middle of Wisconsin, and uh, he farms over 900 acres and uh, soybeans and corn and hay, and uh, he's very busy at this time of year. He's like going like crazy on the tractor all the time. And I got to grow up with that. I got to grow up riding the tractor with dad. And so I called him to ask how Farmers make things grow, okay? This is a, an amazingly healthy, good plant in front of us. It's not my plant, okay? Just to clarify. I've, I've grown some flowers in my time, but I what I'm really good at is uh, killing tomatoes, okay? I, I've killed tomatoes many different ways, and so if you need some help with that, come to me. I can tell you about that. But this is a plant that is growing, and it's healthy, and plants need a certain set of conditions to grow well, all right, and so I called my dad and asked him, how do you prepare the soil for plants to grow well? And he gave me a bunch of different steps. You know, first you plow it up, and then you disc it, then you fertilize it, then you use the column mulcher to kind of flatten it out. And what is a column mulcher? I'm not even going to get into it, because it's, it's really hard to explain. But like, he flattens the dirt out, and then he plants, actually plants the seed. Every five years, he kind of takes a seed sampling to see uh, a, a, a soil sample to see what nutrients need to be put back into the soil, and that adjusts the kind of fertilizer that he uses. Um, and so if it needs more phosphorus or nitrates, you measure the acidity level and stuff like that. And so it puts all of that back into the soil so that it can be a healthy environment to grow healthy plants. Jesus today is going to pull back the curtain on what happens when God's word comes in contact with our hearts. And we're gonna see how we can prepare the hearts of our kids, or, or really the hearts of anyone that we want to share the gospel with, 
to bear fruit so that when, we, when they hear the word, they can grow. When they hear the word, it can bear fruit in their lives. This is probably one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever taught, the parable of the sower. So let's pray and then let's jump in. Father, I'm so thankful that we get to uh, dive into your word. I'm so thankful that uh, Jesus is so penetrating. He's simple yet profound. And so help us to, to take in what he says and then live in light of it. Uh, give us wisdom to understand this parable and then a direction for what you want for us next as we seek to be farmer fathers, dads and moms, and, and then just people who are investing in others and trying to see them grow to be more like you. In your name, amen. Um, all right, so Mark chapter four. And uh, when Mark chapter four begins, he is setting the scene for something that we have seen before, all right? Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. Now, we've, we've encountered this crowd. And at this point, we know who's in this crowd. There are people who are following Jesus. They are committed to him. There are people who are there to see a miracle. There's people who are there to be healed. There's people who are there to tear apart anything Jesus has to say, okay? There might be members of Jesus's family there. So it's a very mixed crowd, a lot of different kinds of people that are listening to Jesus and trying to understand or not what he's trying to say. All right, so this huge crowd, so big that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So it's, it's so many people, and Jesus has done this before, that he gets out into a boat and teaches. We were at the beach this past weekend, and the shore comes up like, like, like an amphitheater, kind of. And so Jesus is on the, on, the, on the water, and then he has like a natural amphitheater where people are listening to him. All right, and so he was teaching them many things in parables. This is verse two. Now, what is a parable? Parable is basically a story that has a point. And all of Jesus' parables are drawn from very simple, everyday circumstances. They're very easy for the people that he's talking to to understand. Um, so he's going to give them a story, and there's a spiritual point behind this story. So let's jump in and see what he had to, to teach. In his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, already we feel a little bit of distance, because it's like, what what is a sower and what does it mean to sow? It's not someone that's sowing things. You know, it's someone who is planting crops, but they didn't have tractors, they didn't have all that stuff. And so basically what they would do, and here's your first century farming lesson, okay, real quick. Um, they would just take the seed and they would throw it onto the field. They'd try to spread it evenly out, but they actually threw the seed onto the field before they plowed because they'd throw the seed out, it would be on there, and then they would plow it under the ground so that it would actually grow. Uh, because if they didn't, the birds would get it. Um, and so that's kind of how they did it. They just spread it and threw it out. But when they threw the seed out, it would land in a couple different places. And that's where Jesus goes with this parable. So as he sowed, verse four, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it up. So the birds love this. The birds love the path because they're not gonna plow up the path. That's where people walk. And so the seed that accidentally falls there, the birds come and they steal it. They take it away and they eat it for lunch. So that's the birds. And then he goes on. So this, you see, you'll see the seed. There's many different things. 
that can make problems for the seed, okay? First thing is birds. The second thing, rocky ground. Verse five, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. So look, you have some growth. You have some like uh, a plant that's coming up, but there's a problem, okay? There's no root. Verse six, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Now the sun rising and shining on it is normal. That's what the sun does. The problem was not the sun. The problem was the root. Just keep that in mind for when we, uh, when we look at it um, in, the, in the explanation. Okay, so there's ravens. That's a problem. There's shallow, rocky ground. That's a problem. Third problem with the seed. Third uh, trouble that it comes into. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. I don't know if any of you grew up like with a garden, or, like a big garden, but it seems like we had to weed as kids growing up, and we complained and whined. It was like, I don't know how my mom stood it, but we, and it seemed like in two days, the weeds would grow from like nothing to like huge. And so the weeds are very ambitious. Thorns are very ambitious. What they do, they choke the word. And this imagery of choking is so vivid. You know, it, it, it squeezes the life out of it. Um, and so keep that in mind as Jesus keeps telling us this parable, this story. So that's the third problem, the thorns. And then verse eight. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So like 30-fold is good. That's like you get 30 seeds for one seed that you planted, but 60-fold is amazing. And 100-fold is like once in a lifetime. And so this seed is bearing incredible fruit. And that is from the good soil. Okay, so you have three problems, then you have the good soil, and that's it. That's the lesson that Jesus gives. See, in the next verse he says, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he closes up shop, and he is done teaching. And you're like, wait a second. You think if you're in the crowd, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what, what's that mean? You just told me a mundane story about something I already knew. Like, none of this is new information. I know about the sower. I grew up, my dad was a farmer. His dad was a farmer. They all sowed. They all had seed fall on the path. They all had thorns. They all had good soil. So what's this all about? But Jesus drops clues, right? Hey, listen. That's what he starts it with. It's a command. Listen. And then he ends it with, he who has ears to hear, whoever's listening, whoever, whoever is really interested, really cares, that person, let him hear what I'm talking about. So he's giving clues that there is something else going on here. But he doesn't give them the explanation. And if you're wondering why, so were his disciples. Okay, so check out the next verse. Verse 10, and when he was alone, so the crowds are all gone, they, you know, they've all left, and Jesus is alone. Jesus really had trouble being alone. He wasn't actually alone. Those around him with the 12 asked him. So he has the 12 disciples, but he also has other people who are just really interested, who really want to know what Jesus is saying. It says they asked him about the parables. Jesus, why are you talking in parables all the time? And what does this one even mean? Okay, 
the same questions we're asking. And so he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. All right, let's pause there for a second. There's a lot, a lot to work through in this passage. Uh, the secret of the kingdom of God. Like, what's that? What's the secret? When you hear kingdom of God, and when the people back then heard kingdom of God, they would imagine a, a, you know, a triumphant Jesus coming on a horse with a sword who is going to establish God's kingdom. You know, a kingdom has boundaries, right? A kingdom has a king, a capital, laws, and they thought, look, Jesus is going to come and he's going to clean house. He's going to establish God's kingdom on the earth. And anyone that wants to come in can come in. But if you don't want to, then he's going to wipe you out. He's going to create heaven on earth. He's going to put the Jews in their rightful position. And Jesus will reign, the kingdom of God. The secret was that was not what Jesus had come to do. Jesus had come to create a people that would follow him in their hearts. Okay, not an outward kingdom, but an inward kingdom where he was ruling in people's hearts. So that was kind of the secret, and it's all about the heart. And as we keep studying this parable, we're going to see the heart is a big deal. Okay, so when we think about the kingdom of God, we have everyone in the world, right? And people are serving different things with their hearts. Some people are really committed to their families. Some people are really committed to their jobs. Some people are really committed to their own comfort and well-being. You have this huge group of people in the world, but there's a smaller group. And this smaller group of people, they are committed to Jesus. Their hearts have Jesus on the throne and he is the most important person. Nothing else rivals him. That is the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that Jesus came to create. We're a part of that kingdom. Those of you that have accepted Christ as your savior, we're a part of his kingdom because our hearts are committed to him and we're following Jesus. So that was kind of the secret that Jesus was talking about. To you has been given that secret. I'm gonna tell you guys all about it. But to those outside, everything is in parables. So that, right, so you see something like so that or therefore, that's pretty important to take note of because it's a reason. We're gonna give a, a reason or a purpose for something. Everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, now if you're, if you're listening carefully, if you're reading you know, this text, like, wait a second, that, that doesn't sound right, okay? Jesus is telling people parables so that they don't understand. Jesus is telling them parables so that they don't. I thought that Jesus wanted everybody to come to Christ. I mean, it says in Peter that uh, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what's going on here? Um, okay, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. And in Isaiah's time, Everyone was rejecting God. No one wanted anything to do with God. So Isaiah could talk, Isaiah could bring God's messages, but they were not listening because in their hearts they rejected God. And so even if they heard what Isaiah was saying, they weren't understanding it. And even if they saw what Isaiah was doing, they weren't perceiving what was going on. And so what was happening was because their hearts were set against God, they were not hearing the message of God. Um, okay, the same thing is happening in Jesus' time. Think about the Pharisees from last week. 
they saw Jesus cast out demons. And they saw Jesus heal people that were sick. But what did they say? Well, he's got to be possessed by Satan himself. And he's got to be working with Satan, casting out these demons. Does that even make sense? That doesn't even make sense. And Jesus kind of came back and showed them that it didn't make sense. But did they listen? Did they believe? This is confirmation bias at its worst. They decided that Jesus was not someone to be listened to. And so no matter what Jesus said and no matter what Jesus did, they rejected it. So what Jesus is doing with parables is he's setting up a filter or a test. There are some people in the crowd who are hanging on his every word. They're gonna wanna know more. They're gonna press in, they're gonna stay after class and they're gonna hear what Jesus had to say. They're gonna get the explanation out of them because they care. They care about Jesus, they care about following Jesus. That's one kind of person. And then you're the kind of people who, you know, like they came to see some miracles get done and they wanted to tell their friends, no, no, I was there. I saw it happen. It was crazy. This guy who was lame, now he's walking. It's amazing. But they weren't really that committed to Jesus. They heard Jesus' parables and they were like, yeah, that was nice. Is there any free bread today? No? Okay, all right, see ya. Have a great day. You know, they just didn't really, they weren't that interested in what Jesus had to say. They just wanted to kind of see the miracles being done. And then there were the Pharisees or the scribes and they were set dead against Jesus. And they were gonna misinterpret and tear apart everything he had to say anyway. So what he was doing with the parables is he was setting up kind of a filter or a test and it exposed where people's hearts were. If people were committed to Jesus, they would respond in one way. If they weren't committed to Jesus, they would respond in another way. And if they were in the middle, Jesus was calling for them to come to him. Listen. If you have ears to hear, hear what I'm trying to say. So that's what he's doing with the parables and it brings up a really important question for us. It brings up a really important question for us dads. The question is, where is your heart? Um, Are you one of those that are committed to Jesus above all else? That would be Jesus's disciples. They were committed to following him. They were gonna listen and follow whatever Jesus had to say. Um, Or maybe you're set against Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've got a problem with Jesus. Maybe it was something that happened in your life. Maybe someone from church did something to you and you feel like that kind of is something that Jesus feels towards you. Maybe you feel like God's a God of judgment, you know, because of what somebody did to you. I don't know what it is. I know that Jesus is still reaching out to you, still wants you to follow him, but it's hard while your heart is set against him. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. You're like coming to church and, you know, fun place to be, the music is good. It's kind of cool, the building stuff. You love revivals. But are you committed to Jesus? Is he the one that your heart is following no matter what? Now, this is important for us dads because 10 times out of 10, your kids will follow what you do instead of what you say. 10 times out of 10, you will have more influence in the life of your child than church ever will. All right, and so where your heart is, dad and mom, and really anybody who's trying to spread the word of God, your commitment to Christ is like, so foundational to what you're doing in the life of your kids. 
And so this is a question, this, this is a confrontational question for them, and it's a confrontational question to us. Where is our heart commitment? Who rules in, in your life and in my life? And if, and if Jesus is the one who rules, your kids are gonna see that and good things are gonna happen. So that's, that's kind of the, the first level. The first thing that Jesus is communicating here that Mark wants us to get is you're kind of the way that you respond to this parable really depends on the, the, the disposition of your heart. And so Jesus talks, the, talks to his disciples through that and then he jumps into explaining the parable. So let's look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And so this, this parable of the sower is kind of important because it's gonna kind of define how all the other parables are interpreted. Um, so, so as we go through it, you'll be prepared for the next couple of parables that come down the, down the passage. Um, okay, so verse 14, he begins. The sower sows the word, right? The sower goes out and he is, the seeds that he's planting, these are, this is God's word. This is the truth of scripture and not, you know, all scripture, but what he's specifically pointing out here is, is the word of the gospel. The fact that Jesus has come to deal with sin, all right, to destroy sin and to save anyone that will come and believe in him that Jesus will send his spirit to remake you on the inside if you trust in him as savior and that you can live a, a passionate, joyful life for him. That's, that's the word, that's the gospel and, and he's giving that up. Now what happens when this gospel, this seed is planted in the soil of our hearts, okay? He gives us three dangers that we can, we can work with as, as dads, as parents. The first danger, in verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the first danger, right, is that Satan steals the word. The gospel gets into the heart and spiritual evil, I think Satan's probably a stand-in both for Satan and all of the demons, all the spiritual evil that is in the world. All right, they come in and he steals the word. What Satan loves to do is he loves to plant doubt. Okay, ah, oh, you know, I mean, the, the Bible says this, but what about this? That doesn't make sense. Ah, my, my professor says this, so I don't know. Or that Christian over there, like they call himself a Christian, but that doesn't make sense with what's in here. So Satan loves to plant doubt that messes with the growth of the word. So that's kind of the first, that's kind of the first part of it. That's the first danger. The second danger in verse chapter 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Okay, so somebody hears the gospel, or they come to church, like, hey, this is great. I love this. Let's go. This is amazing. Um, and so they're initially excited, but there's a problem. Verse 17, they have no root in themselves but they endure for a while. So they hang in there for a little bit. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So like, hey, I found a group of people. It's a great group of people. I love hanging out with them. That's why they're at church. Or maybe uh, uh, coming to church helps me feel good about myself. I, I, I hear that Jesus loves me, that Jesus wants to 
uh, invest in me. And that, that, that's amazing. That makes me feel good. And so that's why you come to church. What, what is the reason? Okay, this goes back to the heart. What's the heart reason that, that we're here? That people are listening to Jesus. Because if it's not a heart commitment to Jesus, where we are, we are sold out for him and he is, he is our base level commitment, then when it gets hard to follow Jesus, we'll fall away. When, tri- when tribulation, trials, you know, where following Jesus becomes hard or people are criticizing or um, teasing, people at work, people in your family don't like it, when that happens, if it's not a heart level commitment to Jesus, then, then it'll fall away. So that's the second danger. It's just a, it's a surface level acceptance, but no heart commitment. Okay, third danger. In verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So these are desires in our heart that we want more than Jesus. That's kind of the basic, he, he goes through three, three areas. One is the cares of this world. That's just your worries, you know? You're so worried about this or that, or you want to control these things in your life. And so it just, it's too much to follow Jesus right now. I got I to gotta do this. That's the cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches, the idea there is that riches are like a lure, like a, like a lure, a temptation, where it's like, hey, if I just have enough money in the bank, then I'm, I'm gonna feel great. I gotta, yeah, I can't go to church, gotta work, you know, but, but I, I'm gonna feel great if I could just get this money in the bank. Or I just need this thing, and then I'll be happy. That's like the lure or the, the deceit of riches. Um, and so that's, that's that. And then his last one is kind of a catch-all category. Desires for other things. It's anything that we want that can pull our commitment, pull our love away from Christ. Um, so these are things that just that we want more than Jesus. Um, that's the third danger. Okay, so we have the uh, Satan who comes and steals the word. We have the second thing is um, the uh, kind of a shallow commitment to Christ. Um, and the third uh, danger is when uh, desires for other things in our hearts just kind of lead us away from, from Jesus. And then there's the fourth, okay? And this is the good soil. This is what we want. This is what we want for our lives. This is what we want for our kids and anybody else that we care about. We want them to encounter the word of God and for this to happen. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. So they heard the gospel, they believed it, and then they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Their lives are transformed. They live with joy. They have purpose. They walk with Jesus, and they have a community of people that they're living, doing life together with. So this is, this is what we want for us and for our kids to follow Jesus with joy. So that's the good soil. Okay, so Jesus lays all this out for us. He pulls back the curtain and helps us see what's going on inside the heart What's going on in someone's heart when they hear the gospel word? Now, what can we do with that? As dads, as parents, as farmer, fathers, how can we take this information and prepare the soil of those that we love to receive the good news of Jesus? Okay, um, three things. And the first one is to prepare the soil. This is investing in the heart's 
of our kids, all right? Kids come in all different shapes and sizes, attitudes. I mean, there is incredible variety and it's so fun getting to know them and getting to know their little personalities and stuff like that. Um, you might have a kid that I'll call the afflicted child, okay? Um, maybe afflicted with fear, doubt, um, uh, sadness. Uh, it really seems to be uh, uh, hurting their soul. It's scary to think that forces of spiritual evil might attack our kids. That's kind of a scary thought. But Satan and all of his minions are no respecter of persons. They don't shy away from kids just because they're kids. And so if, if that's happening, whether we know it or not, the possibility is there. How can we prevent that? How can we, how can we prepare that soil and defend against that? And the, and the front line, is prayer, praying for our kids, praying for their protection and for their growth. Um, in a really interesting encounter, Jesus talks to Peter and he tells Peter, Peter, look, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He's desired to take your heart and mash it all up together, to mess with it. Satan has desired that. He demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Prayer has some sort of spiritual power that prevents the working of spiritual evil. Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And this has been an encouragement to me to continue praying for my kids because um, I, I care about them so much and, uh, and, and want them to be growing in their faith. And so, so that's, that's step one, you know, praying for our kids. Uh, the second thing, so you got the afflicted child, you also have the wavering child. Uh, kids take a long time to learn stuff. If we're honest, we take a long time to learn stuff. And so it takes again and again, working with them, they're gonna, they're gonna accept with enthusiasm and then the next day they're gonna forget it. You know? They're gonna be excited about doing the right thing and then they're not gonna do the right thing. That's just what happens. That's, that's parenting 101. Um, what can we do? We prepare that soil with grace. Sometimes I think kids live lives of annoyance, like not that they're annoyed, but that people are annoyed at them. They go to school and they, you know, they're bouncing off the walls and their teachers are annoyed at them. And they go home and their parents are annoyed at them. And then they go and their friends are annoyed at them. There's just everyone's annoyed at them all the time. And, and, and when, when we can come, enter into that with grace and with kindness and patience, that really lets kids open up and, uh, and, it, and it communicates powerfully to them. And it's also very scriptural. Um, Colossians 3.13, uh, Paul is counseling the believers at Colossae, uh, when you're with each other, bear with one another. Just be patient with one another. Uh, if you have a complaint against somebody else, forgive them. Because God has forgiven you. Jesus has forgiven you. And so this, this not only applies to you, know, you and me, it also applies to us and our kids. We want to have grace with them. We want to give them patience. We want to forgive them when they do stuff wrong. That will, that will ignite um, growth for, uh, ignite change and growth in their hearts and prepare their soil to receive God's word from you. If you're like angry and annoyed all the time and you come at them with God's word, how's that going to go? Is that going to be okay? They're going to really like, oh yeah, thanks. So glad you shared that with me. Um, it, when we show the grace and love and patience of Jesus to our kids, it helps them to receive that word and then for that word to bear fruit in their lives. Um, okay, and then the last kind of child is the 
uh, distracted child, okay? This is the kid that he wants everything. You know, he wants to go and do this or she wants to go and do that. They're so excited and so strong in their desires. Some kids are very chill, laid back. They'll do what you want them to do generally. Not all the time, of course, but generally. And then other kids, they know what they want and they want it now. And they have no problem telling you exactly what to do if you ever have a question about what you need to do. I'd, I, we tell the, tell the leaders over there that, um, you know, if you don't have a plan, the kids will come up with a plan for you. So, you know, like have a plan when you're starting something because they'll create one if you don't. Um, and, uh, and so there are kids that are very uh, passionate about stuff. How can we help these kids, you know, in, in following Jesus? Um, as we have kind of built kids' ministry, we have tried to help the kids understand that Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts, right? It's not a bunch of rules that you need to follow. Christianity is about knowing, loving, and following Jesus. Like, like an amazing, joy-filled, purposeful life that you can live with Christ, setting up Jesus and, and, and giving them a picture of God that is, that is brilliant and wonderful. Um, it, it's inspired for me by this passage from Psalms. Um, in Psalm 1611, it says, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, okay, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, so with the kid that just loves life and is pressing hard passionately at all the stuff we wanna do, we wanna channel that passion into their wonderful heavenly father. Show them how awesome it is to be a part of his work. Go and do stuff at church and have a great time doing that. Connect, it with, connect this child with people that love God and are fun to be around. And it will help them realize, look, my passion and my excitement can be channeled into the work of God and be channeled into knowing God, okay? So this, this is how we can prepare this soil to receive the word. So that's step one, prepare the soil. Step two is plant the word. So interesting to me in this passage that Jesus defines almost everything except who is the sower. Who's the sower in this passage? Jesus doesn't really tell us, but that's on purpose. Obviously, Jesus is spreading the word, but Mark wrote this, you know, probably 15, 20 years after Jesus lived. And so Jesus is thinking, he, I have my people who are out spreading my word. And as parents, as dads, this is what we get to do. We get to, we get to build scripture into our family's life. And as we prepare the soil and share God's word, it, it, it bears fruit. It, it yields fruit in the lives of our kids. This can take so many forms. It can take reading the Bible before bedtime. It can take the form of talking to your kids about what you learned when you kind of read the Bible. Um, it can uh, be spontaneous, you know? Uh, one day we were, I, I don't know why we were talking about it, but we were talking about the, uh, the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. I think Henry may have memorized a, a verse at school. And uh, we were talking about just what that means. You're the salt of the earth. Well, when you put salt on food, how's it taste? Oh, it tastes, tastes good, you know? Oh, and he, and he got it, like he understood. Oh, it's like, it's like, you know, we make the earth a better place. It's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's heading in the right direction. So, um, so like you just, we spontaneously talk about scripture as it comes up, as God brings it into our mind. Now, this is a very easy area to feel guilt about, right? It's like, oh, have I 
put enough scripture into the lives of my kids? Not sure. And the temptation is to think that it's all up to us. If I could only get enough scripture into the lives of my kids, then they will turn out great. And that's why this last step is so important. The last step is to trust in the Lord. So the first thing is prepare the soil. The second thing is to plant the word. And the third thing is to trust the Lord. We've got to give our kids to God. Not, not just our kids either, but anyone that we care about, anyone that we want to see the work of God in. We need to trust them to God. I cannot make this plant grow. Especially I cannot make this plant grow, okay? But, but like I can't, you know, will it to grow. That is, that's God's work. He's just going to do that. And it's the same thing with the kids and the people that we care about. God will do the work in their heart. And we need to give that to him. We cannot control hearts. We can try to prepare the soil. We can plant the word. But, it's, but in the end, God does the growing. And this helps us to, to parent our kids with peace. Um, I think it's really easy as parents to fall into fear. You know, my kid's doing this and they're going to do this and oh no, what's going to happen 20 years from now? Um, and, and, and we can think that it's all up to us because, you know, God does expect certain things of us. He does want us to be in, investing in our kids. But in the end, we can, we can give them over to God and trust, that, trust their hearts into his care. It's so important. And God works differently in different kids' lives. You guys know that. I know that. God uh, has different timing with the lives of, of our kids and, and his work in them. And so we trust him with that. We parent in that peace and in that hope. Um, this parable of the sower is pulling back the curtain and showing what happens in our hearts when we receive the word. It confronts us with two things. First, where, where's the commitment of our heart? And second, how can we help our kids? How can we help those that we love to bear fruit to hear the word and to grow. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I'm just, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for your word. Uh, I'm so thankful for the fruit that we have seen in the amazing work that you have done um, through, uh, through uh, Renew Bible Church and the, and, the, and the camps and the outreaches and the Bible studies and, and revivals and the, and the reaching out into the community. It's been so fun to see you bear fruit in so many different ways. So God, continue to work through Renew. Uh, continue to, uh, with your spirit, create amazing growth and, uh, and, and wonderful opportunities. And, uh, and so that people can look and see and say, look what God has done um, through that church and through that group of people. Um, God, we wanna praise you for Jesus. Um, who makes it all possible and, uh, and who has given us new life that we can take and share with those that don't know him. Help us to do that, Father, and we'll depend on you as we do. In your name, amen.